Hello there, welcome to the International Business Podcast. I'm your host, Leonardo Marra, but let's make it simple and just call me Leo. In this podcast, I share my experiences and interview international professionals to draw lessons from the real-life stories. Coming up on today's episode. I wouldn't blame people for this, right? So I... What I would say is that there, there needs to be a lot more science communication around how vaccines are made, what type of vaccines are there, and what do they do? What are really vaccines? What are the new generation of vaccines that are being created? There is a drive to, to implement technologies that are powered by AI with the potential to ensure savings in healthcare costs and, and provide better treatments for the, for the patient. Adam and Kave are both scientists. They decided to write a book together, Artificial Intelligence in Healthcare, and they'll present it in this very episode. Their aim is to cover the main applications of AI in an easy-to-understand perspective, but also cover the essential socioeconomic topics. Having had the chance to spend time with them, I could not resist but also ask their opinion on the development of a vaccine for the coronavirus. In the show notes, you can find links to their book and LinkedIn profiles of each guest. Now, let's get to it. Hi, Adam. Hi, Kave. I'm glad to have you on. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Leo. Excited to be here. Thanks, Leo. Thank you for your invitation. So I have a straight question that I would like to ask to both of you. So first, Adam, why would you define yourself as an international businessman? So basically, I'm a scientist and science and research think are international activities, which are built on Uh, past discoveries and inventions and it's shared in an international community. Uh, I think that in a grand scheme of things, science and technological developments leads to uh, global progress and improvements in people's lives. And uh, regardless where the technology is developed, I mean, regardless of which country, I think uh, we're all connected and we have global connections and I mean, we're living with global markets. And uh, personally, I mean, I've been traveling quite a lot during my adult life. I've studied and worked in uh, both in the US and UK, France and in Denmark. So I feel international in that sense. And uh, having lived in different uh, countries, experiencing various cultures, I think I also, it's made me feel and behave more international. And it's something I cannot undo afterwards, I think. How about you, Kaveh? Yeah, as a person who, who comes from Iran, uh, originally I've, um, I've traveled all around the world and I've um, dealt with so many people all around the world during my career. And I work in London. London is a melting pot of different people. And if you work in London, you're an international business person. And talking about the, the book, Kave, tell us a bit more. First of all, tell us the title. And I would like to know where did the idea come from? Okay, so, so the title of the book is called um, Artificial Intelligence in Healthcare. Since Adam and I are both scientists and like to talk about science and technology, you know, this has always been, uh, the, the topic of technology has always been a constant discussion um, with, uh, you know, between us. We have this tradition where all our meetings are mostly involved uh, in discussions about life, technology, and the future of humanity, Right. So these discussions are often deep and have no end and you know, it can go on for hours and we talk and talk. 
So we've always wanted to work together on a, on a project that we're both passionate about. So one thing led to another, and as our discussions progressed, it got also deeper. And we started reading books about artificial intelligence and the, the, the potential impact that it could have on our world. We would often sit down and review each of these books together and you know, present the cons and the pros together. Of course, one topic that Adam and I are both interested in is, is healthcare. And the topic of AI is as fascinating as it gets, right? So we both believe that we haven't even scratched the surface of the potential for this technology. So we decided to kind of work on a project related to AI. It could have been a website, it could have been a product, but in this case, it's a book. So that's how it actually came about. Adam, looking at the future, how will advances in AI impact healthcare in the next, let's say, five years or so? Right now, we're in a situation uh, where the demand for healthcare is, is really high. I mean, and the system cannot really cope with it in many countries uh, due to the, I mean, the aging population, and uh, I mean, more and more chronic diseases becoming, uh, I mean, prevalent. So, uh, I mean, there is a drive to, to implement uh, technologies that are powered by AI with the potential to ensure um, savings in healthcare costs and, and provide better treatments for the, for the patients. I mean, there are numerous analyses that have been done by different uh, marketing and consultancy firms. And I mean, some, some estimates, uh, it's seen that, uh, you know, the healthcare savings, which is, I mean, driving all this development can can be in the region of $100 to $100 billion in the next five years, and that's just in the U.S. alone. When you look at it, I mean, there are many areas of advances uh, within AI for healthcare applications, and in the near term, like in the next five years, I think you would include advances uh, to improve, you know, care delivery, patient experience, and then also, I mean, bringing down the costs for healthcare. One prominent area is uh, the adoption of uh, electronic healthcare records. That's, that's really something where you've seen a lot of uh, development in the, in the past uh, 10 years, and it continues to really have an impact uh, because this, is, this provides a system where uh, the AI can, can learn from with all the data that's become available. I think uh, as an example, um, yes, yeah, so physicians will, will begin to, to use AI technology more and more in the next five years. And uh, I mean, practice uh, their medical procedures uh, using virtual assistants, for instance, both for, for like educational purposes uh, to learn various procedures, but also to, I mean, to guide the treatment. So you have, for instance, like uh, real-time uh, clinical support via these uh, virtual assistants, uh, as well as other types of systems that can then um, help them and provide like a more efficient uh, support system. The opinion of uh, the healthcare providers, uh, also the governments and the payers, all the stakeholders within healthcare, I think is uh, putting focus uh, more and more on AI uh, in these uh, years to come. Uh, and I think um, AI as a technology will be implemented to, uh, to a much larger degree both for diagnosis and treatments. You can see that, you know, healthcare uh, providers and services, such uh, as NHS, the UK National Health Services, um, for instance, the CEO of NHS has uh, said that they would become a world leader within artificial intelligence and, and machine learning within the next five years. So that's also a bold uh, claim. And it shows that, I mean, people are, I mean, health services are vested in focusing on AI in the near term. Moving on to, let's say, a more basic question, Kave. 
why is there a need for AI-powered technologies in healthcare? You know, the, the most important thing to for us to remember is that um, AI technologies um, are essentially tools to, to make life easier for humans, for all of us, right? In healthcare, I think things can be done to streamline and promote productivity of everyday actions for all the healthcare workers. I think that is super important to remember. Of course, there are different aspects to this, right? One would be uh, reducing the, the workload on uh, the workload on clinicians and healthcare workers. So the hours of form filling and various non-productive but essential activities that they engage with can drain their energy every day. And I have families and friends in in the in the UK NHS system that always complain about the unnecessary steps that they have to take that does not have to do anything with their training, you know, during, uh, you know, the, the medical school. Give us an example, a practical example. For example, you're a radiologist. Uh, you, what you can do is to get help for your image, image analysis from software. The software and the AI will allow you to, to accelerate the decision-making process, right? So the other aspect of this could be the, the, the forms that you, the, all the, the physicians need to fill, right? So uh, about the patients, about the, the, the different records of the patients, about the illnesses that they have, how old they are, right? All of those cases need to be written by the physician, where in reality, all of that and all the data could be acquired uh, in an electronic system and could be analyzed by an electronic system, a smart system that will inform the physician going forward. The, so the second reason why AI-powered technologies are helpful is it, it, that it actually allows patients or empowers patients to have control over their own data, meaning that they can analyze, follow their vital signs themselves, and take steps to make change in their daily habits. So as an example, this, you know, in, it, it's, it's an irony that this is the case, but uh, in resource poor countries, the healthcare system is usually understaffed and overburdened. So that means that, you know, they have to do deal with a lot of cases, and they might not have the ability to, to deal with all of them in the best way possible. So hospitals suffer from poor infrastructure in these regions, and uh, they have a s severe shortage of skilled workers. Now, so if you go there and automate the, the routine and straightforward tasks, you will be doing them a massive favor. The whole thing can be applied to countries like the UK and uh, Europe and all around the world to streamline and make the whole process much more smoother and mo much more efficient, make it better for clinicians and patients alike. So, I mean, these are some of the examples that provides us with reasons why AI is useful. The other thing that I would add to this is uh, education of healthcare workers of tomorrow and also patients. So utilizing the, the power of technologies such as AR and VR in uh, educating our uh, medical, the future medical doctors and nurses, and also allowing patients to overcome their, uh, let's say, disabilities or overcome their loneliness at home, utilizing technologies that will allow them to escape the reality of the world is, is, is a good thing sometimes, right? For example, you have late stage cancer patients that you know, could utilize VR to escape to a different world and in their last minutes of life experience um, you know, something much more profound 
than what they usually get in a hospital setting. So there seems to be so many applications for AI power technologies. But Adam, who will be the primary users of this new technology? There won't be any one user of the technology. I think uh, the technology will be both uh, I mean, applied or meant for healthcare professionals uh, and for the patients and for other stakeholders in the healthcare system, depending on the technology, of course. So uh, I think if we, for instance, take the healthcare professionals, uh, AI can, can lead to better um, care outcomes and, and it can improve the, the productivity and the efficiency of the, of the care delivery. And that's not only for doctors, but also for, for nurses and other uh, healthcare professionals. And I think AI can also remove and minimize uh, I mean, time, wasteful time, like, like Kave mentioned, uh, spend on routine tasks, uh, administrative tasks, which, which uh, might seem not that interesting, and also which can take up uh, actually I mean, a majority of, of, their, of their time at work. I think for, I mean, for the patient, um, th- these technologies really mean that they become actively a part of their, um, their treatment and the process of, of the healthcare. Be, they will be actively involved in, in monitoring their conditions. Uh, basically, I mean, the, the whole uh, perception of healthcare can also change in the sense that I think these, I mean, the patients, they can already begin actively monitoring their health, like before they get ill and thereby I mean, prevent illnesses in the first place, which, which is, I mean, a better goal than treating it after getting sick. Uh, and in some cases, I mean, when it's so uh, progressed that it's difficult to treat, uh, which makes it, I mean, painful for the patient, difficult for the doctor, and also costly for the, for the system. I do have a follow-up question for you, Adam. What are the main areas, I mean, specifically, the main areas of application of AI in uh, healthcare? But also, I mean, I think we should at least mention COVID-19 here. So in which areas AI may help all of us in this current situation with the coronavirus? Yes, so if we take the applications, the main applications of AI to start with, I mean, there, as you can imagine, there are numerous uh, areas of application. Um, Basically, you can use it for any um, application within healthcare. I think it will bring some some benefits uh, and uh, efficiency. So, I mean, some of the notable examples of the application of AI in healthcare is, for instance, uh, robot-assisted surgery. Uh, here, um, I mean, you can have robots uh, based on AI technology that are then uh, analyzing uh, data from uh, medical records, could be a preoperative image analysis, for instance, and uh, to physically uh, guide the surgeon during uh, surgery, like le- real time uh, during the procedure. Not to go too much in detail on each of them, I and mean, there are also uh, areas uh, within, uh, I mean, using virtual uh, assistance, as I mentioned uh, earlier. Which can which can help on decision support uh, for the for the clinicians. One big area is also administrative workflow. It's not the most sexy area, but I mean it's nevertheless uh, an important area. There is also I mean digital uh, consultations. Uh, there are many uh, or several apps uh, uh, already, uh, such as uh, Babylon from the UK, which is using AI to to provide various uh, consultations uh, and based on medical history and. I think there, as uh, more people are using it, and over time, uh, it really gathers a lot of data, and that then becomes uh, better at predicting uh, illnesses and uh, telling more about yeah what what could be the condition. So there are also areas you know within uh, connected health. Uh, my own uh, startup, um, Sonohaler, we're focusing on uh, monitoring of asthma, 
So these are um, devices that can be connected to inhalers and uh, used together with the smartphone to, to alert patients, but also through time um, learn to, I mean, get to know the, the, the users and thereby using machine learning and AI to, to actually predict the asthma attacks and uh, be able to give better treatments. And within, uh, for instance, drug discovery and development, that's also another area where there is a lot of potential within AI to make drug discovery faster and more efficient by having high throughput systems based on AI screening of compounds uh, based on past experience of mo uh, molecular libraries. I think there is a lot to gain there. And also, for instance, uh, yeah, testing, uh, how to evaluate therapeutic efficacy and toxicity, etc. And then uh, you, you ask about... Um, COVID-19. I mean, followed a little bit uh, during this whole uh, COVID-19 uh, period. I mean, there are numerous of companies that have been focusing on making vaccines, but there are also companies that have dived into trying to apply uh, AI to, to help either diagnosing or treating patients. And from what I've seen, there's, for instance, uh, there was a group in China which were using um, AI to basically uh, assess uh, chest uh, CT images where they could actually, I mean, based on the con inflammatory conditions in the lungs, it could accurately detect uh, COVID-19 in this kind of automated method. And there's also an American group that uh, I think recently um, they were using a voice detection kind of app or um, application where they could, based on the, the patient's voice uh, when they had COVID-19, could, could uh, detect whether um, they were COVID-19 positive uh, or not. Guys, you're both scientists, so I, I have a question that I'd like to ask you both. And according, depending on your answer, then I will choose if I'm going to keep this on the podcast or not, but do you think, when do you think it would be possible to get a vaccine? I mean, the majority of the people out there, when, when we have COVID-19 related conversations, I mean, most of the people, they don't know anything about science. So what they say, just what they think. I don't want to say that you have an answer, but I guess that your opinion at least is more based on facts and science and actually, you know, knowledge. So what's your idea? First of all, I'll start by saying that the information that people get usually, is, you know, the, through social media or the news could be wrong, right? Especially, especially from social media. I wouldn't blame people for this, right? So I... What I would say is that there, there needs to be a lot more science communication around how vaccines are made, what type of vaccines are there, and what do they do? What are really vaccines? What are the new generation of vaccines that are being created? You know, in, in my current company, Chemometech, we're helping some of these different companies and universities to actually accelerate the manufacturing of, of, of the vaccine. And what I can say regarding the when it's going to be made, of course, there are multiple um, organizations that are working on it. As a scientist, I can tell you that it will come. The vaccine will be here. By the end of this year, it will be hopefully the, the manufacturing of the vaccine will start. Now, regarding the immunity of the vaccine and how long that will last inside um, our bodies, that's a different question. But I think the vaccines will be made. And I, you know, I have an understanding of 
uh, the fact the vaccines that are being worked on at the moment are effective and will work on people. How long will they work on people? I have no idea, right? Of course, we still have the, the, the phase three clinical trials to, to go through in the UK, but I'm hopeful, Leo, you know, um, I'll remain hopeful. And because I understand the process of science and it's not because I have faith in science, because I understand the processes and I trust that the scientists who are working on um, the vaccine at the moment are doing their best to help save um, society, you know? I mean, basically, it's with such a vaccine, I mean, these vaccines uh, will be given to people who have not contracted uh, COVID-19 as well, right? So it's very important that it's safe to use. I mean, because if it has even the slightest side effects, it's not really worth it. When you want to get a new medication approved through the, um, for instance, FDA in the US, uh, I think, I mean, you have to go through a lot of uh, uh, regulatory scrutiny. And that's important in this case as well, that you don't rush through uh, such a process um, as it is important to ensure that it's safe to use. Uh, and that's, for instance, uh, I mean, now we've, we've heard about the, the Russian vaccine that was perhaps didn't go through uh, that uh, regu uh, rigorous uh, testing before being approved by some local uh, governments. So I think it's important to, to bear that in mind, even though we would like to have a vaccine as soon as possible. Another factor is, uh, I think, so I read uh, this article in The Economist uh, where they mentioned that um, right now, the governments have uh, spent something in the order of $100 billion on supporting vaccines uh, through pharmaceutical companies, etc. And that can be compared to... Uh, I think one week of the um, kind of government uh, uh, financial aids to different uh, countries. So one week is, is not really that much. And I think uh, the fact that, I mean, they've sponsored uh, not that many vaccine programs like right now, maybe there are 20 or so uh, uh, clinical trials going on. It was funny that they mentioned this uh, analogy to if you had this task that you had to buy a pizza and really make sure that uh, you had one pizza within 10 minutes, otherwise you would die. Then you wouldn't order uh, one pizza, right? You would order, I mean, hundreds of pizzas to make sure that at least one will make it in time, you know? And if you compare to that analogy, it's strange that the governments don't put more money into vaccine development when it's such a, a big impact it will have. Mm. So I'm thinking now if I'm going to eat a pizza or not, that's my doubt now. <laughs> <laughs> And so, uh, you know, our hope um, as, you know, as, as scientists and people who would like to utilize tech is that going forwards, governments and uh, organizations will put more importance on the, the, the topic of drug discovery, one thing, and also the, the field of antimicrobial sciences. I mean, that, so, so the vaccines utilized for, for this virus but there are hundreds of species of other viruses that could be much more lethal. And, and I mean, this could happen again, right? So we need to be ready uh, going forward. So, and utilizing tech and AI could actually accelerate the process of vaccine discovery, uh, not vaccine discovery, but uh, discovery of potent drugs that could have an effect. Uh, if you remember what we didn't have initially, right, there was a lot of talk about hydroxychloroquine and, 
you know, initially before us getting into the vaccine realm, many people died. That was because our healthcare systems were not ready to deal with vaccines. So vaccine is on one side, but the, 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 the drugs that can tackle an already infected person, that's another thing that we need to work on. And AI could be super useful in that realm. I think I look at it as a, you know, in the whole COVID-19 thing as, a, as an international effort. This, this shouldn't be a national only, let's say, for example, only UK or the US or China or Russia, right? This should be because this affects humanity as a whole. And as I said, if this, if the, the virus was worse, you know, the effects could have been so, so much worse than we were experiencing. And we, we are experiencing at the moment. So I think we should take this lesson and collaborate more on science and technology and try to make a better world, as, as it were. Moving back to AI, I have a question for both of you, as you may have different opinion on this. Will AI replace doctors, guys? I'll start briefly on this and I'll, um, I'll, I'll pass this on to you. Uh, I think both of us are pretty aligned on this. So we look at AI as a, as a powerful tool. Of course, it, it, it enhances what clinicians do and makes their job uh, much more streamlined and better. But, you know, we always, I think we will require clinicians or healthcare workers that will need to, to guide the system, inform it, and also interpret what is coming out out of the system. Now, the, the argument here is that would you like to go through the same educational system of, let's say, 17 years to become a consultant in order to do that? Now, that's a different question, right? But perhaps what could happen in future is that the, the specialties will get um, shorter. You don't have to study for, uh, for longer. And your expertise in, in combination with the AI systems will help uh, things go forward. I'll pass to Adam to, to elaborate on this a bit more. Yes, so as Kave alluded to, uh, I agree that um, doctors will not be replaced uh, per se. I think uh, it will mainly, I mean, AI will be a, a tool to, to enhance and, uh, I mean, improve their, um, their jobs. Um, and I think, yeah, as, as Kave also mentioned, it would also open up for um, doctors, for instance, in, in countries where they... Either, I mean, if you have a lack of, of doctors or if you have, I mean, less possibilities and really getting a lot of experience, uh, I think it will be easier to, to get that kind of experience uh, through uh, support from AI, which have been developed, I mean, through data at the best uh, institutions and, I mean, through a lot of uh, data, right? So I think in that way, um, it would allow more doctors to implement the newest and the latest knowledge and the best uh, tools, making uh, healthcare overall, uh, at a, I mean, put it at a better level, uh, a higher standard. I think also some tasks might not be need to, and uh, doesn't have to be done by doctors, uh, medical doctors, but could be done by something in between uh, nurses and doctors, for instance. Uh, what are the main challenges to implement AI-based technologies in the clinic, Kave? Tell us about them. So, I mean, I think we've, uh, we've experienced these problems in the UK, okay? So, I mean, AI-based technologies are something that are super, super nice to have, right, in, in any society, right? Um, I mean, Adam actually pointed out that NHS wants to implement all of that. What I would say, uh, which, you know, that is all well and good, 
right? But if you go to NHS today, now this might sound a bit controversial, right? If you go to NHS today, the computers that are using, some of them might be, you know, the... Yeah, Windows 95. Exactly. So, yeah, so this is, this is what I was trying to get at. Yes, you have a government that says that it wants to introduce, you know, stuff into the healthcare, right? But in reality, when you go to different hospitals and NHS um, charities, which are some of these hospitals, you don't see much improvement. You, you don't see digital healthcare records that can be utilized as useful data. It is getting there, but it's super slow. I would say well, the, the, the first challenge is for the government to do what it says it wants to do. And now this is not specifically the UK government, right? These are all the governments all around the world. They love to say beautiful stuff, but when it gets to doing stuff, um, you know, the reality is completely different. And also policymakers, right, to allow, you know, uh, allow this to, to, to happen, right? So privacy of the patients, what happens to the data. So these are all the different challenges that you have. The second challenge I would say that there is, is uh, could be, could possibly be the healthcare workers themselves and the clinicians, right? Again, you know, these are all controversial, I would say, because, you know, your previous question was, well, AI replaced doctors. And this, this is a very serious issue. Uh, as long as doctors see AI as a threat in their line of work, they will refuse to work with the tech. You know, there are so many literature out there that, you know, that the doctors say, oh, AI doesn't do emotion, AI doesn't do this, it will never be able to do this, therefore they reject it. Of course, these are not all the clinicians. You have so many good ones that will, you know, will want to implement and will understand that the tech will have, uh, you know, beneficial outcomes. But clinicians and healthcare workers need to support AI-based technologies for it to get into NHS and the other healthcare systems all around the world, right? So with their support and their push, the governments can change. So if you don't have the backings of them, then the government, you know, will not implement the policies and the infrastructure that is required fast enough. The other thing is, so the challenges is for, for people, normal people to understand and uh, utilize AI. I think actually people are um, much more open, right? Normal people are much more open because uh, people like uh, things to be streamlined all the time, right? For example, Babylon, as, um, as Adam was talking about, right? That allows, for example, a patient who has a symptom on the day to get in touch with the doctor within 20 minutes um, and, you know, have a chat and get a prescription ready, right? Where in reality, if you want to go to your GP, uh, and we've said this in the book, you only have to, you, you have to wait at least uh, sometime uh, a week. And when you go to a GP, you only have 10 minutes to explain what is wrong with you. Now, if you have sciatica, if you have chronic um, back, uh, back pain, or I don't know, you know, the sinusitis or, you know, something wrong with your legs or whatever, you just have to concentrate on one of those. I remember this cover. I remember in London <laughs> that it, if I was really sick, 
I had to get up super early to get the same day appointment. You know, when you're sick, you don't want to get up very early. But if you wanted the same day appointment with the GP, you have to be there like at 7 a.m. or 6.30. I don't even remember. But yeah, I, I get your point. So, so it, it just makes life easier. And I think um, so you need the support of the people, the clinicians, in order for the government to be implementing good policies and infrastructure. Right now in, in media, again, social media platforms, there's so much hype about AI. Will it destroy the world going forwards? So if you have all of that polluting the, the, the thoughts of society, of course, there's, there's going to be delays in implementation. Please mention current examples of AI technologies used in clinic today. If you look at it... Um applications of AI that are used currently. There was, I think, a report this year stating that uh, there were around 20 to 25 uh, AI applications that had been uh, approved by the US FDA. But there could be also, I mean, others, other unapproved uh, applications uh, as well. But in general, I think um, these uh, AI healthcare apps or applications, it's usually been used for low-risk applications. So we're even... I mean, if, you, if there is an error, I mean, it doesn't have uh, severe implications for the, for the patients or the, for the doctors, as it is kind of on a, on a trial, uh, you can say. I mean, it's a new technology, right? So you don't want to risk too much. But basically, there, have been, there are quite a variety of applications already, like uh, varying from, uh, I mean, symptom checkers. There are uh, virtual agents to, to carry out uh, various tasks in the hospitals or to uh, optimize uh, healthcare R&D, like for instance, uh, drug discovery, pharmacovigilance. Also, there are quite a lot of applications that are marketed directly to the consumers. And this could be like screening for eye diseases uh, using uh, Apple Watch or your smartphone. It could be to use the various sensors in the smartphone or your smartwatch to detect heart rhythm problems by looking at the pulse. There are quite there are not so many applications that are actually used in hospitals at the moment by the doctor um, for patient care, but that I think will come within the next few years. Yeah, I mean, so you know, I think you know the I'll talk about radiology assistant. So this it, this goes back to our you know the previous question that you asked us, Leo. There was this company that we've actually covered um, in the book. It's called uh, Zebra Medical Vision. Now they they actually utilize AI to to provide some sort of assistant. It provides radiologists with an AI-enabled assistant that you know receives imaging scans, um, and actually the the software automatically analyzes them for, for example, various clinical findings that that has studied previously, you know, utilizing the vast database of radiological imaging that exists in the in the database of all healthcare organizations. Right. And, and so then the, the findings of, of the software is then passed on to radiologists who will then take the report reports uh, into consideration when making a diagnosis for the patient. Right. So as it stands, the, the software is not actually, crea- you know, diagnosing a patient. It provides uh, the, the radiologist with assistance to make a better diagnosis and also saves a lot of time. And, uh, and there are many, there, there was this other company that we tried to collaborate with that, that worked on orthopedic applications. There are many, as Adam said, but going forward, um, I think it will become more visible, um, more productive. But the question that I have is that in, in systems like the NHS, how will these private companies thrive? 
Now, we don't have an answer for that, right? So that's a that's a very good question and i personally do not have an answer i think it requires policy making it requires a forward thinking government and etc there's a question i ask everyone who comes on the show and i would like to hear from both of you guys so tell us about one memorable moment from your international career and you can pick between a successful a catastrophic or a funny episode so I, I think I'll, you know, I'll talk about uh, the reason why we are here is because of the book. So during the, 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 the initial process of putting the, uh, putting the book together and getting all the authors, right? So we write a lot of emails to, to people who, who, who might be interested in writing a chapter for the book. Now, there is this um, field of study called emotion AI, right? And it, it was completely new to me, right? So it's, it's this idea of utilizing algorithms to, to look at the facial features or, I don't know, the color of your skin to, to, to decide how you're feeling. Uh, of course, this topic is not covered in our book a lot, but initially when we were looking for authors, I came across this lady, um, I'm not going to name names here because she's no longer an author on the book, but she was working on uh, seeing and finding out the, the, the patterns on faces of sheep to understand if they're happy uh, in the farm or if they're, you know, if they're unhappy. So this would allow the farmer to, to act accordingly, of course, right? So I found that super fascinating that, that AI can do that to sheep, right? So this, this technology could easily be applied to humans, but I looked at her research and it was so fascinating. Unfortunately, when I approached her, you know, she said yes initially, but she had issues that she had to drop out. Hopefully we can get her to come back to write for the second edition. But just imagine Leo, right? Like imagine you have your smartphone in future, you point it to a sheep to see how well they're feeling, right? Is it sad? Is it happy? Is it inquisitive? <laughs> you know. I mean, are sheep happy about being in a farm on average? Are they happy about their lifestyle? Well, you know, I'm not an expert, but I, I would say that. <laughs> I mean, depending on how you treat them, of course, you know, I think you know there are conscious beings. Depending on how you treat them, the result might go one way or the other. But that was a fascinating field that I came across and the research itself is just funny and fascinating at the same time. How about you, Adam? This is a bit of a a random uh, anecdote uh, from my time as a student at the university, but you know, since it's to do with international, uh, internationalness. um, So I I went from Europe to the US to study, uh, was in engineering. And uh, I, then I started some mechanical engineering courses in the U.S. And then I found out that, I mean, after reading in this book, that all the units that they're using are, like, totally different from, uh, from what I was used to, like, with all these inches, pounds, and ounces, etc. And, I, I mean, back in Europe, I was um, good at doing math and calculating stuff in mechanics, but then I found myself really puzzled with all these uh, units that I had to, I mean, feel like I had to learn from scratch. It meant that even knowing English and math as kind of universal languages wasn't really enough. Once you go to a different system, things can really be different, you know. And it was just a flashback I, I had uh, today because uh, I was ordering some uh, equipment from the from U.S. And then when it came, I realized that all the screws uh, in the device 
were like American or imperial uh, standards and had to be <laughs> and replaced. Before we go, guys, I would like to wrap this up by asking you who should connect with you and who should read your book? So I'll start with this, Adam, if possible. Um, well, anyone could connect with this, but uh, you know, we would like to connect with people who are fascinated by tech and have a positive vision of what technology uh, and science can do for the future. Of course, there are negative aspects of it, but we would definitely, uh, I mean, I would definitely like to connect with people like that. And again, the, the same thing applies to the book, right? Anybody that wants their healthcare system to become better, if you're, you know, if you're a youngster, if you're a person who's interested in, in research or wants to do research, I think, you know, you should go and read the book and not just this book, I would say, read a lot of books on the subject so that you can positively create some uh, good impacts uh, on our world going forward. It's all about, you know, um, working together and creating a better life for our fellow species and uh, everything else on this planet. You can make sheep happy. <laughs> yes, exactly. I really like that research. I think it's super cool. As Kave also mentioned, yeah, I think this, for the book at least, it's, uh, I mean, for anybody interested in uh, AI for healthcare applications, uh, I think it's a good book to start with and uh, to give an introduction to different areas of AI and kind of current research uh, that is making a difference. And as for myself, um, I would uh, love to connect with uh, more people. Everybody's uh, welcome to add me on, uh, on LinkedIn. Adam, Kave, thank you for your insights. Thank you for joining us on the International Business Podcast. Thanks. Thank you, Leo. Thank you, Leo. Thank you for having us. Subscribe today to listen to more international business stories, guests coming on the show every Monday. Do not forget to connect with me on LinkedIn. You can find the link in the show notes. I'll speak with you again on the next episode.